Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, so today in the episode we have, uh, actually before we start, I just wanted to say we did a poll on the Authority Hacker Pro Group on people, I wanted to know like who you want to hear about on the podcast and by far the number one request was successful Authority Hacker Pro members. So I reached out to like probably one of our most popular members on the Facebook group, Kevin Espiritu, he came on the podcast before, but he has done a lot of stuff since the last podcast. So I thought it would be a cool opportunity to talk about everything he's done. And I kind of won't let him tell the story. So welcome to the podcast, Kevin. How's it going? Good. How's it going? I don't know if I'm... I think Mark Jenner is definitely more popular than me. <laughs> but uh, I'm happy to be uh, you on You know, you, you guess we can have a poll, you know, if people can vote, you know. Yeah, please uh, vote <laughs> in the poll who's more popular, Mark or me. You've been around since the beginning. The first thing I wanted you to do is to basically explain what you're doing. Like, what is your business? What do you do? You're kind of the face of it. So it's like a lot of affiliate marketers, et cetera, kind of hide their sites. But, you know, if people Google your name now, they'll find your site. So can you explain to them what your site and your business is about? Yeah, sure. So basically, it's just teaching people how to grow plants on the internet. So it's mostly food because that's what I'm more interested in. So vegetables, fruits, you know, trees, herbs, kitchen gardens, things like that. But I get into the houseplant world a little bit and I get into just like the lifestyle of people who do what I do, which is try to grow a lot or most of, of your own food. And I just do that in, I guess I would call it like a hybrid authority site model. Yeah. Why would you call it a hybrid authority site model? I think because I've done some things to, I think, combat what I think are the weaknesses of that model if you only do that. So like mm-hmm. I've done stuff like go pretty heavy on video and audio content, pretty heavy on just like the brand element and the building the community element and then doing stuff like going into traditional media. So like I have a book coming out in May. So little things like this that I don't think most people would think about as like a potential option for an authority site. Yeah, I think you just put it further. So like a lot of the time when we talk about authority site, it's, you know, authority can be seen in two ways. By SEOs, it's just seen, oh, Google sees you as an authority and you're going to rank for every keyword. And then when you say authority, it also means like being an authority to actual people and people follow you and follow your advice and essentially just, just listen to you and maybe buy on your recommendations. You essentially become an influencer. I guess that's influencer is more of the trendy world these days. And yeah. you've made that transition. You were first an authority to Google and then you've kind of made that transition to actually becoming a personality that people follow and that got your book deal, etc. And I think that's what I really want to talk about today. I want to regress back first a bit, though, because if I remember, I'm not sure exactly of the timing, but basically you had your site, you had Epic Gardening before we started H Pro, but you you kind of abandoned it. And then when we started H Pro, you kind of like, oh, I'll just try to apply your stuff. Like, how did that work exactly? Do you remember? Yeah, the timeline is actually even fuzzy to me because I had it on a different domain. So if, if we want to go way back really quickly, what happened for me was... I found out about you guys, I think, or you specifically, just through some forums, you know, just like through the internet. And then... Wicked Fire. Wicked Fire. It was the OG days um, of all the people running like (laughs) acai berries and stuff like that. But anyways, I found you through there. And then I somehow we kept in touch. And I started the site. It was called Exponics back in the day. And the reason Mm. I started it was actually to be proof that I could rank something in Google because I was doing local SEO at the time you don't have a business card for that business. I was like, look, here's what I can do for this hydroponics website. I can probably do the same thing for your dental company because it's a little bit easier. I didn't really know what I was talking about, but it worked. And that's how I sort of justified my business back then. And then I rebranded it to Epic Gardening. And then even this, when I did the rebrand, that was even well before you guys had started, I think, Health Ambition Mm -hmm. and, and Authority Hacker. And then it just kind of went by the wayside. It was a hobby blog. I never had the purpose to turn it into authority site, that term wasn't even around. And it just went into the background while I did a couple other things. Like I raised money to do a venture startup and didn't succeed at that. And then I did a stint as the founding member of a publishing company and learned a ton there. And then when I left that, I think through even throughout my time at that publishing company, we'd chat from time to time, you and I, Gail, and you would say like, hey, yeah, like if you just focused on Epic Gardening or really any authority site, you would crush like it, you would do really well. You have all the pieces that they're ready to deploy. Like I, it's not like I was even starting from scratch. You know what I mean? I just at the time, I just didn't understand it. And I think for me, seeing you guys go from zero to building health ambition 
as proof positive that you could do this outside the IM niche and then build Authority Hacker, I was like, okay, well, I'm being slapped in the face with reality here. Like, obviously, this is something that can work and there's no reason it can't work for me. And so when I had quit that job, the publishing job, the initial goal, even then, even after having seen all this was, hey, you know, I'll make my site make me enough to like pay rent. And then I can try some other business ideas that I've been rolling around that were totally unrelated, totally offline gardening sort of things. But it, I focused, I, I focused on the site and it started to grow. And then I was like, why would I stop doing this? It's I'm enjoying it. It's working. And let's just go ahead and keep scaling something that's working. Yeah, I think I remember your first milestone was making $2,000 a month. Like you were like, oh, if I make $2,000 per month, I can barely survive, but like I don't need the job, you know, something like this. And then like when you hit it, it was like you were so excited. I remember that actually. Dude, I know. I I remember being obsessed with money milestones back then. And I probably bugged you and a couple other people because I would just update you all the time. I would be like, oh, my God, I almost hit it. And then I hit I remember it was for me, it was 2000 because that was like survival money if no other money Mm -hmm. was coming in. And then I just kept saying, okay, well, if I make double that, like five, then, and so I just kept getting more and more excited about it. And then I think these days, those milestones, I mean, they're still there, but they're not, once you get past a certain level of income, that's not your core driver of life. Like it's not your survival anymore. And so there has to be a deeper reason for why you want something to continue growing, in my opinion. I agree. And it's also about longevity of your business. So we make a lot of choices for our sites now that are like not the fastest money makers right now. But they build like a brand people will trust more. They build things like it builds something that we know will last longer. For example, re-recording the Atari side system on Atari Hacker, like we spent like five months on this. Yeah. And we gave it for free to everyone, you know? So that's an example I can share, but we've done it on a bunch of other sites where it was like mm, not the best short term, but it was it was in the long term. So I agree. But how did you go? Like, how well was the site doing before you picked it up again? Like, it was making a couple hundred a month, something, right? Yeah. So I, I actually have the files. And so back then when I had quit, it was making, I want to say, three to $500 a month. Like, I think the month I quit, that was spring. So for me, obviously, gardening is, is big mm-hmm. in spring. I think it made like $465. And so I had a seed, right? I had something to grow, which is, I think... You know, many new authority site owners are probably like, wow, that's a lot. I would love to be at $465 a month. That was just the benefit of having started a site a long time ago. You know, that domain sitting there for a long time, content actually was up before I even thought about doing this in the first place. It was just sort of a hobby blog. So I did get a big sort of head start that way. But yeah, it was making maybe like 500 bucks a month. So really not much. Yeah, I mean, we do that as well. So like for us, when we, want, when we have an idea of a niche, but we don't necessarily have the bandwidth to do it. We buy a domain and we put like 20 decent articles on it yeah. and just let it sit. Um, yeah, it's really it doesn't smart. mean like it makes a lot of money, but it means that if we ever want to circle back to this niche, like it's just a one-off investment. And if you want to ever circle back to this, we have like a two-year-old domain or something at the point at which we're picking it up. And yeah, Everything I mean, just goes much faster. It's really smart. I mean, I, for me, obviously, I, I make a lot of metaphorical connections to gardening stuff and it's like, it's like starting seeds. So if you can't plant until April 1st, you're not going to just wait to put the seed in the ground April 1st. You're going to start the seeds indoors beforehand, and then you're going to put them in and they're going to have a month head start. It's the same exact thing. You're just sort of planting a seed, seeing how it does, seeing if it has any potential. And then if it does, you you pour the resources into it. Yeah, it's pretty cheap as well. Like for like a couple of hundred dollars, you can really get like a really, really basic site. I mean, like you throw a generic price on it and just like throw some articles and, yep. you know, put some stock images. As no link it's building, not a great site. no anything. Yeah, it just gets yeah. older. Exactly. Like just the bare minimum. It's not a site that you aim to make money with. It's just, you're like, well, at some point when I'm going to be looking for a new project, it's going to be here and it's going to save me a ton of time if I ever pick it up. Yeah, um, that's cool. So I, I never thought about doing that. It's really smart. I wanted to ask you like, so you did a lot of like Amazon stuff at the beginning, right? Did you write everything yourself? Like, did you go hardcore or did you actually add source? Yeah, I went hardcore mode. So when I quit the job, it was, it was a weird time in my life because I quit that job. It was more of a mutual understanding type of layoff type of situation where I grew with the company up to about 12, 15 people. We went from like 200,000 revenue to like 5 million. And it was at the point where my job was getting splintered into three different jobs. And so I was like, I don't want to be just one, like an email marketer. So it might be time for me to leave. And they were like, I think we agree. But that happened. I moved apartments. I ended a relationship and I ended this gym that I was going to. So like all these things were up in turmoil. And so I didn't have a lot to do. Like I just didn't have a lot to do. And I also didn't want to draw my savings down too much. And so I went hardcore mode and just wrote 12 hours a day for like that summer, I would say. 
So I would take like an hour break to do some like stretching in the park just to keep my body from, <laughs> you know, breaking completely. But yeah, so I, I diagnosed it. I was like, the site has 60 articles. Most were not optimized with the framework that you guys teach. Mm-hmm. And so I said, even though, even though I have 60 articles, it doesn't mean that there's 60 performing articles. So I need to go really hard and just publish as much as I can. So yeah, I, I wrote maybe, th- I would say three articles a day for quite a while, like maybe two months. And then that became the next inflection point where I was like, okay, well, now I have a base of content. And the, the new needle moving problem is that I, I don't have enough promotion for that content, right? It doesn't make a lot mm-hmm. of sense to keep writing into the void if you can't promote the content. Do you think there was any like extra value over just getting a bunch of content to writing all the content yourself? Yeah, I do, actually, especially at the start. Like To me, if it's your first authority site or... Yeah, if it's your first authority site there's incredible value to me. And that's because you have a mental map of everything that's on your site. And you know exactly mm-hmm. what interlinks could be could be worked in, you know, exactly, you sort of just see the gaps in what you have and what you don't have. So I do think there's a lot of benefits, I couldn't really quantify them, I couldn't say like, Oh, it's exactly this and exactly that. But I have a much better like pulse or understanding of the core of my website than if I just instantly paid a couple grand and, and had articles plopped up. Yeah, you get to know your site and you, it grows in your head at the same pace as it grows on the website. Whereas yeah. Whereas when you yeah. order like 100 articles, I mean, sometimes on some sites, like we post like 50 articles in a week, we just got a big batch or something. Yeah. And just to get my head to the point where I just like I acknowledge like every corner of the website and know where it's at, it's, it's not, you know, when you outsource everything, it's it's definitely like you literally just have to consume your own website. Uh, yeah. You have to read it like a book. Actually. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like for internal linking, et cetera, it's, it's much easier to do that. But you did say that you wrote a lot and then you were like, well, there's no promotion behind. So yeah, I, I know at some point that's how you talk about like outreaching for every piece of content you have. Like, was that right after or did you walk your way through that? No. So I didn't understand. Like for me, I think probably like most people, and there's definitely some people that I've been talking to either in the group or elsewhere where they know intellectually that links are their problem, but they still don't do it. And that's because it is a time-consuming process and it's hard to wrap your head around and it's hard to figure out which of the 42,000 paths of, of building links makes sense for you. So it took me some time to figure that out. I was doing a lot of the basics. I mean, at the start of a website, there's a lot of just basics that you can do that get you links that they might not be like hyper valuable, but every website tends to have them, right? So like you can do your every social profile or like all that sort of type of linking. So I did some of that stuff at the start. Then I actually talked with a couple age pro members and got my head around the shotgun skyscraper that you guys taught because mm-hmm. I, I knew it from the blueprint. But even knowing it, the process, if I ran it manually, would have taken me hours and hours per piece of content. And I was definitely trying to get at least a couple referring domains per piece of content because I just figured it's like rolling down a hill. It, it, in the aggregate, it just really compounds to crazy amounts. I just couldn't figure out how to do it. So I, I talked to a couple of people in HPro and ended up hiring a guy for macro creation to just speed up a lot of the things that I knew. I mean, not even a human needs to do them. So I just I hired a guy off Upwork and did a bunch of macro creation, kind of cobbled together my own version of of Shotgun Skyscraper. And that ended up working pretty well for me. Yeah, I mean, that was sort of the next unlocker for the growth of the site was figuring out link building in a scalable way. Nice. That's a really good pre-advertising because we're literally reshooting, refinishing to reshoot the whole Shotgun Skyscraper blueprint. Yeah. We're actually releasing tools that like automate a lot of these, etc. Oh, interesting. So, okay, cool. Uh, it's going to be, I mean, H-Pro members, you guys will have it, but uh, it's something that we'll actually sell to non-H-Pro members. So if you're listening to this podcast, nah, in the next two, three months, you'll probably hear about that. But anyway, this is not the topic of the interview. There was just a little commercial in there. Um, <laughs> but there's one thing that I wanted to ask you is, uh, you know, I was, I was checking the site and yeah. you still have that uh, giveaway page. Mm. I, I know you were running giveaways for a while. I noticed you didn't do one since spring 2018, so about a year. Yeah. What happened there? I mean, that's almost more just me not keeping on top of the 42 million things that I'm doing than okay. me like having a strategic reason for stopping. But a couple reasons that I could think of for stopping, and maybe this is why it sort of fell out of my conscious processes and I just sort of ignored it, is because I was using Gleam, right? So there's Gleam, mm-hmm. there's King Sumo, there's a lot of these viral loop type giveaways. And basically, anytime. This is sort of like a general principle that I think about is like anytime something becomes easy via software or, or tools, it becomes overused, right? And so 
a giveaway became so easy to do that the saturation point for giveaways became really, really high. It was just really, it was just an overly saturated technique. And also you have to think about it, like the quality of a follower on any platform or a reader on your website is contingent upon why they decided to do it. And so if you made them do it in a way, like if 25% of the reason they signed up is just because they wanted a pack of seeds or whatever, well, then they're only 75% of a fan of you. You know what I mean? Like that's obviously not correct math, but the logic there is sound. Like if you've incentivized someone to do something, they're less of a true fan. And I decided I wanted to create more true fans and less, you know, incentivized fans. Okay. I actually do have a lot of followers on social media and I want to talk a lot about social media at some point because we never do. So I want to like, you know, our stuff and I want to like cross these things. Mm -hmm. But uh, is our giveaways a reason why you have so many followers on social media? No, I don't think so. Because they didn't give me that many. Like I ran maybe five giveaways, I would say, and only one of them really blew up. And even then the biggest gains were on my email list. So I don't think giveaways, I mean, they definitely do some work, but they don't really move the needle in the ways that I want to move the needle, at least. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you get, I mean, we did it also. We've run giveaways and we get like impressive numbers of followers, but then you post something on social and like nobody reacts. It's just exactly. Like, okay, yeah. Because well. the context for the so follow is just different. They did it because they're selfish. And they want something for them. Yeah, yeah. Do you think giveaways are useless? Are they useless? No, I don't think they're useless. I mean, I think that if you can execute a giveaway perfectly, it's still probably a, a wonderful way to do it. Um, I mean, like my most successful giveaway actually was the one that had something given away that cost the least amount of money, but it was perfectly mm. targeted towards the audience. It was like this 40 or 50 pack of seeds from this really cool company that basically every gardener loves. So it's like a dream product for all of them and it just blew up. And it was really tied in with what I'm doing. I'm talking about edible, organic or beyond organic at uh, veggie gardening, right? And so like, that's a really obvious mm-hmm. tie in anyone who follows me for that is probably gonna like what I'm posting. So like that one worked pretty well on all avenues. Okay, so when would you use giveaways then? I mean, I would use giveaways and, and honestly, I would use giveaways now. I do them on Instagram only. I don't really do a mm-hmm. multi-channel giveaway. I don't know if that's a mistake or not, to be honest with you, just because like giveaways in the pantheon of like activities I could do for the business just aren't that important as a whole. And so I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what's the perfectly optimized way to do it. But yeah, I mean, I do a lot of platform specific ones. So I've, I've done a couple on Instagram that have done really well and that's helped me a little bit. But, uh, if you want to run like a perfect multi-channel giveaway, I'm probably not the best person to ask anymore. I would say back in the day, use gleam and choose a product that like, it doesn't make sense to give away an iPad for me. Right. No, I mean, giving away an iPad is always a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Or like, what if I gave away $10,000? You know, like that giveaway would obviously blow up. Yeah. Every single follower would be completely worthless. So it'd be the biggest waste of $10,000 ever. So the the biggest problem I I see with people with giveaways is they're not calibrating the give to what they will then be posting in the future. Why, Why are you doing the giveaway? You're doing it because you want something too. And so you want the thing that you get, which is followers or reach or, or new email subscribers to actually engage afterwards. So you just have to solve that problem. Okay, cool. My take on this is that giveaways are probably useful when you're just getting started on social media. Mm. Just to get your initial followers and kind of build that social proof. You know, going from zero to 10,000 followers is pretty nice. Or on YouTube or whatever it is, if you're on subscribers and so on. Yeah. And you can also, on Gleam, I remember, you can make people watch videos. So that can help your video SEO. Yep, that's true. Which is kind of tricky. (laughs) That's true. Um, Mostly to just build a a marketable audience, but really it's kind of a social proof builder, I would say. I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Social proof builder and just like uh, the spark that gets a more complex social strategy started, I would say probably. Yeah, I mean, I guess to be honest with you, now the giveaways I do is mostly just like, I think it's cool to give it away. And that's the only reason. There's no other reason to it. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that's the way you do it. But now you have the engine already running. You exactly. Have already a lot of yeah. Followers. Things change as, as like, you fail, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like there's a lot of tactics that even now, like, you know, you know, I look at some uh, old blueprint for like a uh, content promotion mm-hmm. and I'm like, I would never do this anymore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like we're past it. And But at the same time, it's kind of useful if you have zero traffic. But some of this stuff, yeah, it's like what you need to do depends on how big you are. Exactly. And that's why usually the biggest guys, they're terrible at teaching newbies. Because they, they have not been in that position of like zero traffic, et cetera, for a very long time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which is so funny anecdote. And we could get back to the 
the task list of things we want to talk about, but I've been talking, I've actually been helping my cousin who's not an AH Pro member, he's just, just my cousin with an authority mm-hmm. site because I want to stay sharp with my thinking. And so he's doing, it's in the sports outdoor world and he's doing that and he's, he's done it since June and he's up to 30,000 hits a month and I think maybe six to $700 a month. And so I'm like, okay, I still, my thinking is still sound. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to do it again, you know, like for us, like we just like we built a site in 16 months and sold it for mid uh, six figures. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was kind of like a revalidation of like, hey, we can take a domain from zero and grow it to like a a big amount. And now we are actually doing it again. And so something that we try to do every two years just to get back in this position. I I think that's why you guys are the way that you are and you have the fan base that you have because you're always skin in the game. You're always money where your mouth is, right? Instead of just like sitting back and being these nebulous teachers that did it once back in the day, you keep doing it. And so you keep everything updated to like the current time, which is, that's where the value is. Yeah, we also know a lot of nuances by working in different niches, you know? And and like a lot of the stuff we can talk about, you know, will apply at 90%, 80% most niches, but you always kind of like find these different twists and like tweaks to doing things based on different niches. Like if you work in the medical niche, it's different than if you work in like the fashion niche, than if you work in something that's like more legal and like you need to actually <laughs> have uh, all the claims around, et cetera. Like yep. All these things just, just vary widely and outreach will vary widely as well. The tone you need to take, the templates, we also see the different effects on different niches and so on. It's quite interesting. One thing that I really wanted to talk about in this podcast is, so you started, you essentially had like this typical SEO authority site. You grew info content, you grew kind of like affiliate content, you were making enough money to pay your bills and have a decent life. But then what you've done is instead of just trying to publish a gazillion more reviews and all starting new sites, et cetera, is you've pivoted to trying to become an authority to the people that read your site, which a lot of people do. You've put your face forward, you've started to like engage an audience, et cetera. And I wanted to know why you decided to do that. And like looking back now, what are your lessons from doing this? Okay, well, the first reason I think I decided to do it if I remember correctly, is was raw business. I was like, okay, well, if none of these people are going to put their face on their site, then I just will because that's a competitive advantage that that I'll have mm-hmm. because humans connect to humans. And I'm not talking about anything that I'm not proud of, right? So I think like for me, my personality, and, and this goes to personality type. I know we've talked a lot in the age pro group about should you or should you not use avatars and this and that? Like, oh god, yeah. And I get, I get pretty. <laughs> and heated we change about our it. mind as well, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I get heated about it myself, and I'm probably you could probably scroll back and see my responses. My personality type is such that I'm not going to do anything that I can't tell to like my grandma. Do you know what I mean? Like in in the business world, I'm not going to be like, yeah, grandma, I run a illegal Silk Road operate. You know, like I'm not going <laughs> to talk about that. And so for me. There's two elements. Like one, I think it's a competitive advantage because look at the mommy blogger world. Look at the, you know, the home organization world. All of those moms, they haven't really figured out SEO that much, thank God, but their community is insane. And there's a reason for that, right? None of them are like these weird ghosts on the internet. That's what I decided to do. And then, so the, the benefits of that... You're the male version of a mommy blogger then. I'm a... I'm not a yep. daddy, though. Uh, I'm not going to call myself that. <laughs> um, I'm not going to call myself. Give it that. a few more years. Yeah, give me, give me like five years. Okay, so so what are the benefits of that? Well, there's a lot of benefits. The benefits are the relationships you make when you're doing outreach, for example. Like almost when I do a shotgun skyscraper or when I do any sort of email outreach to people, the secondary effects of that are more important than the first. So even if I don't get a link, sometimes I'll have a phone call or actually. I got a book deal because I did a shotgun skyscraper. If I'm being completely honest and like cause and effect about it, that's actually the chain of events that led me to get the book What's deal. What's the story? I was doing a shotgun skyscraper and this is really early days of me trying it out. And I emailed this woman, Shauna, and she's got a, a gardening site. And so she didn't know what I was talking about. She was like, what do you mean? You want a link? This and that. She just didn't get it. But then I said, hey, you know, I'd love to get on the phone and, and talk about it. It looks like you have a couple books. It's pretty interesting. So we got on the phone. She was really good at the TV, book deal, paid videos, brand sponsorship side of making money on the internet with like your niche. I was obviously good at the opposite. And so we became friends. And then she introduced me to her publisher, who introduced me to her editor. 
And then the conversation started and then the book deal happened. And so that's pretty much the reason why that happened. Yeah, it works that way if you if you do this kind of uh, legit outreach. Yep. You know, I actually met Tim Solo like three or four years before he worked for Ahrefs, just doing oh, one wow. of the first outreach emails for Atari Hacker as well, actually. Yeah, I mean, and um, so, yeah, I mean, so if you're just, I mean, I literally probably deleted seven of these shotgun skyscrapers today from my inbox. None of them in any way stood out to me as a human being that I would care about in, yeah. in any sense of the word. And you do you. If your personality type is such that you much more enjoy the business side of of running an authority site and you kind of want to fly under the radar and make a lifestyle level of income and just be content with that, that's completely fine. It's just that as soon as I started to see the effects of doing it and putting my face on there, like, dude, I'll get emails from someone in like a really poor third world country who's using a guide I wrote to grow cucumbers for their grandma, like something like that. Or like an 87 year old who lost their wife and now gardening is like the only thing that keeps them going. Like these crazy emails. I don't think that type of stuff would happen if I didn't put my face on it. Yeah, for sure. I think the things like the podcast, YouTube videos, etc., which I want to talk about at the end, mm-hmm. really help also like building that relationship. Like people follow you and don't just read your article once and never come back. Yep. And I think that's a big difference. One thing though, it's like you kind of knew gardening quite well for all of that. Let's say, let's say someone is listening to this podcast and wants to do that, but doesn't know his niche as well as you did at the time. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend to them? It's not actually true that I knew gardening that well at the start. I didn't. So I was kind of learning as I went and I was publishing stuff that I was studying at the time. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I would say it really depends. Like I actually really like it and I it's part of my life. And so I'm actually like doing my own continuing education for it. I'm reading books. I'm talking to other people. I'm learning tips and tricks like all the time, basically. And so my knowledge of, of gardening is compounding at the same rate that my site is or close to it, right? So that's what helps me. I would say if someone's starting out and they have a niche that they're, they're potentially interested in, what happened for me is I became more and more interested in it as it started working more and more for me, like both in the garden and on the website. You know, if the website's scaling up, it's really easy to get more interested in something that's working to me. So that's what I would say. But also, like, I've been telling my cousin who's who's in that outdoor niche, I was like, you need to be putting in some time outdoors and actually doing some yeah. of this stuff. It kind of goes back to what you were saying about writing the first 100 articles for your site. You kind of have to do the thing you're talking about, in my opinion, if you're going to put your face on it, especially. But I mean, just for the way my lifestyle works, I don't want to just sit behind a computer and write about something that I don't do to make money that I could make working at a job. You know what I mean? Like like five grand a month writing about something I don't even do. It doesn't like that doesn't mean anything to my life. Like my deathbed is not going to be too happy if that's what I did. But that's just me, right? That's just my sort of extremist view. No, that's fine. I think that's interesting. I mean, like we're halfway. Like the the site we just sold. Actually, I was quite involved in the niche as well, and I kind of enjoy it more as well. So it really depends. I mean, if someone's listening with like male enhancement pill websites, then maybe don't take pills all day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the niche, but if it's a lifestyle niche, do it. Yeah, I would definitely say do it if it's a lifestyle niche for sure. Mark has this uh, rule as well. It made me laugh when you said about uh, you want to be able to tell it to your grandma because Mark has this rule as well. It's like, um, so we have a case study post that's coming out about the site we just sold. And one of the things is like, I I can't remember, I had like a really weird dirty niche that was like, oh, that can make a lot of money to Mark and just had the new market. He's like, no, I don't want to do anything that I can't show to my mom. Yeah. And so any niche process niche research we do it's actually everything we have is all family friendly and like uh i, I challenge people to find a, a site on porn stuff or whatever we have we don't do that stuff yeah yeah we do try to go for high paying affiliate programs but we also want to stay family friendly so yes that's kind of what we do one thing as well is your site went through several iterations including the infamous focus blog version oh wow um, yeah and, and then you went to generate press and then you redesigned and like you have this kind of like new homepage, but when I go on the blog, it's kind of the same. Like what happened to your redesign exactly? Yeah, that was a total fail. That was just a total fail. So I had it in my mind that I needed to redesign the blog. And actually, I guess to go back, the, I guess the first redesign among many pre-focus blog, before focus blog, it was just theme switching, you know, yeah, then yeah. focus blog. And I remember we had a conversation and you were like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about switching off Focus Blog. And I was like, I'm doing it first. And so then I, <laughs> I switched off to, I think, Generate Press. 
And then from there, I said, you know, I think I need like a more clean, professional looking site, which is not the right logic in my brain, at least to to come up with a redesign. So yeah, the homepage is redesigned. It's going to get designed again because it looks cool, but it doesn't have a lot of function. It's built weirdly as well. If you look at the footer and um, the image with the the, the, the sign up for the email, yeah. um, actually the sign up for the email is like too low resolution. It doesn't go border to border. Yeah. It's, whereas the footer does, you know? Yeah. It's going to get a redesign. So now the way I'm thinking about designing my site is I design these like, I sort of design in modules. Like I wanted to have my authors mm. shown at the bottom. And if, if there's multiple contributors to a piece, like let's say I'm the editor one of my writers is the writer, obviously, and maybe someone was like a researcher or something. I want the team down there because I think that is going to help build trust in the long term. And so like there was, that was a module that I put on the site. I have sort of like a little feedback module I put on the site that helps me improve articles sort of organically via the community. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. How do you do that? Like, it's really cool. I was checking the site. I was like, I want this, you know? Yeah. So I basically found that on another site and I was like, that's really smart. And I'm actually thinking about turning off comments because of it. I'm just afraid it might mm-hmm. it might cause way too many submissions. But I have no idea how to keep up with comments on my site. So if anyone out there has an idea, oh, like, I have like 700 waiting, but they're all like really specific questions about a 30 year old ponytail palm that's been put in the light. Like I just can't answer them. And so I've been. I, I'm checking about, authority hacker right now, but we have around the same amount of comments. Yeah. So I, I mean, I've been toying. Right now. Yeah, I'm somewhere around there, and I've been toying around with the idea of turning comments off and setting up a, a subdomain forum and having them answer oh. with each other, or just directing it to the Facebook group. I don't really know. Like the forum could start generating nice long tail traffic organically, and then I could monetize yeah. that via just probably display ads. But again, it's just a matter of priority. I don't know if I have the bandwidth to put that up. You know, the problem with forums as well is you're going to have to deal with spam, right? 100%, um, yeah. And you're going to get a lot of it. I would uh, get a lot. Forums are still heavily spammed, and it's a pain, yes. I mean, I'm sure there's good platforms that have fight most of it, but it can be quite annoying, actually. But yeah, if you do a Facebook group, you get no traffic, but you get high engagement. So actually, that's my next question. I was going to talk about social channels. Like, what social channels do you run right now? So my big three would be Instagram, Facebook. Well, no, I guess I have a big four. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest. Really, those are the only four. Okay. I have a Twitter and some other random ones, but it doesn't really matter that much. Okay, cool. Let's go through them one by one, actually. I want to ask you, first, let's talk about the Facebook group because you mentioned it. Yep. How big is it? The Facebook group or the page? The group, I guess. I guess pages don't matter that much, do they? Well, dude, something happened with pages this year. So so Facebook obviously sees YouTube, right? And they're like, okay, well, obviously YouTube's crushing it. We need to crush it on video yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. And so there was a program, and I don't know if it's still open, but I randomly applied. I got an email from Facebook, randomly applied to this program called Facebook Launchpad. This is crazy, man. I didn't think about it any further because you get emails, you apply to think whatever. I get an email back and they're like, hey, you got into the Launchpad program. I think I was at maybe 13,000 fans on Facebook. And I didn't care because like you said, you post your organic reach is cut in <laughs> you know, 120th and then you just cry. So then they said... We're looking for creators. And so here is kind of tying into what you're probably going to talk about with like YouTube and, and going off just mm-hmm. raw text content. These are the second order effects that can really blow the business up, in my opinion. So the only reason I got into Launchpad, which I'm going to tell you why it's so good in a second, is because I had YouTube, right? And they're like, okay. we want to steal YouTube creators over to Facebook and at the very least have them cross post to Facebook native video. So upload natively to Facebook. Before that, there is no incentive for any creator to upload natively to Facebook because there's no return for you. Yeah, you want the views to rank on YouTube, yeah, etc. Unless, so you'd rather link to YouTube. Yeah, unless all you care about is reach, which is a valid concern, actually, or a valid goal, then you would never do that. But they said, okay, look, get into this Launchpad program. What we're going to do is we're going to pay you $375 every video you upload up to four a month for six months plus uh, whatever thousand bonus for your first video. So it, it totaled 10 grand for me to <laughs> upload videos to Facebook that I would have made anyways on YouTube. And then that seems crazy already. They're just paying me 10 yeah. grand over six months to do videos. And I'm, th- these aren't numbers that like aren't allowed to be shared. Anyone who was in Launchpad got this deal. But what's crazy about it is then they would boost them for you. And so... So you get free ads, basically, you, right? It's literally free ads. And so I went in the six... I think I'm almost out of the program now. It's been almost exactly six months. I went from 13,000 on Facebook to 155. So yeah, I'm checking that now. Actually. That actually make that's actually really good, you know? And so 
I've been experimenting with types of content that do well on Facebook now that I can advertise them. So you have to have a three minute minimum on Facebook to be able to run ad breaks. And so if you make a really engaging three minute gardening tips video, at least for me, that can really help because that boosts reach for me. So my audience grows itself. And then some ad money comes in, which is obviously never going to be enough to like really matter. But it helps a lot. It's a free bonus as well. You were going to make the video for YouTube. Anyway. I was going to, yeah, I do it anyways. There's no, it's just a straight up win. It's it's just a straight up win. And, and Facebook obviously likes it too, because you're, you're going native instead of just not uploading anything to them. That's what I was going to say about the Facebook page. Like stuff like that is really beneficial, which I know that's not very applicable to a lot of listeners, but going native on Facebook can really help and actually can start to pay off now. I think like that's, I'm betting on it at least. Do you like push people from the page to the group? Yeah, I linked the the page to the group. And then obviously, as this growth curve was going through the launchpad thing, the group started to grow. And I push people to the group from I think if someone emails me a question that I'm just like, I can't answer this, I'll push them to the group. So there's there's a lot of other little things that kind of push people to the Facebook group. Okay, how many people are in the group? I want to say it's like, maybe 3000 or 4000. Let me look right now. It's 3300. Not bad. And like they're super engaged. I see people post like photos of their garden, etc. Like it's 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 cool. Like what are the benefits you get for your business from your Facebook presence? What are the benefits I get? Well, one of the th- the thing about the group that's cool is basically they're telling me things they struggle with all the time. And so like mm-hmm. someone's there's people posting about how do I deal with this pest or what's happening to this plant or just like plants they think are really cool products they think are really cool. I'm getting all this free market research, right? From the business perspective. And then from the other perspective, it's building true community, which means that like, if I'm launching a course, if I'm launching a book, if I'm launching a physical product, I have beta readers, beta testers, an early audience to pre-sell to. I have all that stuff just sitting there waiting, waiting to be used if I want to, you know? It's basically a marketable audience. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like an email list. basically. Yeah. It's like a, Um, yeah, exactly. One thing that I found really powerful with Facebook groups as well is to use it to enhance your content. <laughs> so let's say you're going to write a post about some kind of plant. You can ask people to post their pictures and say, I'll put it on the website oh. on the post and just name you. And then you get like real pictures, not stock photos, etc. Dude, why have I not thought about that? And, and you can also ask them for quotes or experiences and just like, if I don't know, like use the, um, the blog quote on WordPress to just put quotes of people that have been doing this stuff and put like real life experience inside your posts. You know? Yeah, I'm going to start doing that right now. That's really smart. I used to do that. <laughs> All um, right, see later. <laughs> I used to do that on, uh, I'll do that on Instagram sometimes where I'll, I'll do one of those question boxes and I'll say like, hey, uh-huh. what are you struggling with with seed starting? But I've used that more for like generating content ideas rather than actually adding to the content. I've done a little bit of it, but I haven't done it so focused. That's really smart. Yeah, if you check the, um, like, you can see the exa- an example on Atari Hacker, which is the uh, affiliate programs blog post, where we just, like, make a huge list of affiliate programs. We actually posted the list of the affiliate programs we we're going to talk about on the Facebook group on HRO. Yeah. And basically, people who are affiliates for these networks just gave a honest testimonial about them. Like, if it's terrible, they were also saying it and so on. And we were able to put, like, real-life feedback of people that have been pushing traffic to these platforms, which you will find on no other site talking about that topic, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just the benefit of having a community, right? And, like, having an actual brand that that actual people are are connecting with. Yeah. Like, how do you grow? Like, did you just grow your Facebook groups through the videos? You know, on, in the early times, I really don't remember how I grew the Facebook group. I honestly don't remember. I, I'm pretty sure I just linked it in my video descriptions. I think I linked it in my okay. co- my blog comments here and there. Email list for sure. Like my, part of my autoresponder follow-up series had like, hey, here's the other places to kind of, if you want plant help, probably go to the group, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. One thing I would recommend maybe, uh, I don't know if you do that, is on your thank you page when people opt in. Oh, yeah, I have that too. I have that too. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to like be like, hey, if you want to be even more connected to other people that grow plants. Oh, you know what? Go, Here's go a fun tip. Too. You know the little feedback thing I have at the bottom of my post? Yeah, so yeah. If, if they, oh, sorry, if they yeah. say they like it already, if like if because it says, was it helpful? Yes or no? If it says no, there's two paths they can go down to why it was not helpful. Like if it was inaccurate or if it didn't have information. But if it says yes, I say, cool. Well, then follow me on Facebook or Pinterest. Good, so actually. cool little trick. Yeah. Uh, on YouTube... Do you have the, the subscribe link? I'm actually clicking right now to see. Oh, yeah, you have it. So when you click on the link, it asks you to subscribe. Actually, yeah, the, which the is, subscription uh, center link. Yeah, you got to do that for YouTube. Exactly. Just make them, don't make them work harder than they have to. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Let's talk about Instagram. You have almost 100,000 followers. There. Yeah, yeah. 
I think at some point, weren't you playing with some bots to follow and follow people to get a bunch of followers? I don't know. It's hard to answer that question. <laughs> no, so okay. in the early days, in the early days, the strategy for growing it was very different because I started it in 2014. Again, it was this is one of those things, kind of like you buying a, a domain and putting 20 articles up. I was like, maybe Instagram will be worth it someday. So I'll just create a quick little system and process to start putting photos up and building a little audience. But back then, this was before my I had really gone full bore with Epic Gardening because I, I two and a half years is how long I've been doing it full time. So 2014 is obviously earlier than that. And so I didn't have my face on the thing yet. And I was just sort of kind of messing around. I just like growing stuff like in all avenues. So I was like, can I grow this account? And what I did is I was posting people who would use my hashtag. And it was sort of like a community garden page. So it was like anyone who used the hashtag and had a cool photo would go up on it. And obviously that created like a nice kind of viral loop where obviously people wanted to be posted. So more people used the tag and then more people saw the tag and then they saw the account. I tried a lot of the follow and follow stuff. And in early day mm. Instagram, obviously that was the best strategy because it's just like any platform. The saturation point of platforms where like your attention to them goes down is really low at the beginning, right? So like in the early days of email, you just opened and read all your email. And you were excited about it. Yeah, you're like, oh my God, I, it's like getting mail now, you know? Or like in the early days of Facebook, when you posted a, a Facebook status, all of your friends liked it because it's it was cool. And so, yeah, in the early days of Instagram, the follow and follow strategy worked really well to grow it. And then after you get to a certain inflection point, just like anything, like you're saying, your your size dictates your your tasks to scale. It mm -hmm. stopped making as much sense. And also I figured from a risk perspective, it didn't make sense to even to continue yeah. it. You know, I was like, you know, it's it's it'll grow when it as it grows. Yeah, because every time you keep doing this, you risk everything you've built so far. So when you don't risk anything, yeah, it's fine to take the risk. But when you have like already a large following, then you don't want to risk that by keeping it. Yeah, right. it makes no sense at all, in my opinion. How do you grow your following these days? It's just like pure viral stuff that people like and comment on and type people on. Except yeah, I've been trying to figure out exactly what it is. So there's a lot of different things that go on now at the size it's at, there's just a lot of stuff that people will dig up and tag me in, or maybe another big account finds me and tags me, you know, and shares my stuff. And uh -huh. I did one video at a nursery once that got 300,000 views on my own Instagram. And then obviously, that perks the eyes up of the reposting community on Instagram. And so they all start reposting it. And so then like, I think that one post got me like 3000 followers just because it was intriguing wow. enough, I guess. So like, there's stuff like that that'll happen collabs with other people happen. I mean, there's just a lot of different things. Someone will find the podcast and tag me on the podcast on Instagram. And then that brings some followers, you know, so like, it's this like really interconnected web. Now it's really hard to say like, which thing does the most. Do you do brand sponsorship? Like do you get paid? I've done way more of that on YouTube than I have on Instagram. But some of the brand deals that I've done require me to go to Instagram too. So I did one, you know, for the National Association of Landscape Professionals here in in America. And the whole premise was like it's kind of like Mike Rowe and Dirty Jobs. If you know him, his whole thing is like blue collar work is is dignified work and actually you can make more than a lot of people who go to college and don't take on any debt. And so I was kind of taking that angle. I was like, look, like there's a lot of careers in landscaping that have a pretty good quality of life and actually make decent money you should think about doing them. And so that required me to post to Instagram. So yeah, I do some brand deals on Instagram, but I, I would say I reject 99.9% .9 of them. Okay, so no diet. Uh, no no acai, no green <laughs> detox tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're missing out on the money. Fortunately, I mean, uh, I'm not in a world where they would even want me anyways. You know what I mean? I'm not a fitness influencer. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Let's talk about YouTube now. You have 76,500 subscriptions. So you're almost at the silver button, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Can't uh, wait. Yeah, I saw your biggest video has 710,000 views and 1,900 comments. So how did you get started there? Like you had your site, you had your affiliate site. How did you get going with YouTube? So YouTube, I started, I, I think my first video is 2013, but it, the upload schedule is anything but regular. And that video is terrible. And unfortunately, that video has like 400,000 views and it's really bad. So what I did is it's like, it's not bad from video production. I mean, it is, but the reason it's bad is because it's actually wrong. And so what I did is I had to record another video to direct people to that one. And I still get these comments on YouTube that was like, this idiot doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm like, yeah, I didn't then. Sorry. But yeah, so how did I grow it? I mean, 
the uh, most obvious way to grow a YouTube channel if is to think about traffic flow. So if you have an authority site already, what I would say is look at your top 10 landing pages over the past, let's say 90 days, doesn't really matter the time frame, just long enough. And ask yourself if you can create a video to supplement that content. I mean, it's, it's the most obvious thing ever. Use whatever platform is growing the most, which is almost always going to be your website, especially if you're listening to this podcast, to grow the other platforms that you want to grow. So for me, houseplant care guides, I did videos on those because I was getting some good traffic on on the houseplant care article. It was actually the same for the podcast. I did the exact same thing. I pulled the top however many landing pages and just made the first podcast episodes were just all about that. Then I embedded that and had a link to the podcast. So pretty much the same thing. The viral stuff, I personally don't know how to predict or plan that. Like the the biggest video that you mentioned, the 710,000 one, I just mm-hmm. went to this this dude's farm a couple miles away and I, it was the first time meeting him actually. And I said, hey, do you mind if we just do kind of like a tour? I think people would really like it. And I was filming it with my phone and then I paid my editor to edit it and it just blew up. I was, just right place, right time, right content, right title. I don't know. I don't know how to plan virality. Cool. I see some of your videos have like custom thumbnails with text, etc. And some of them are just like a random frame. Did you see any benefit from one or the other? Again, that's more just like a bit of like rust in the system, you know, like I uh-huh. wish that I had perfect branded thumbnails across everything. That would be a lot better. I did that once back when I had maybe like 60, 70 videos on the channel. I redid everything. And that's probably the titles that you're seeing. I'm just not as big of a fan yeah. of that look anymore. And so I haven't been doing that. Eventually, I will go through and clean every thumbnail and redo it all. But I, I'll probably rank it in like a Pareto way where I, I just won't even bother with the ones that don't have any traction at all. Yep. I mean, we do the same kind of stuff and we end up with some posts that have no traffic that haven't been reworked in years. Exactly. Some that we work every certain Exactly. Months, yeah. You mentioned that you do sponsor stuff for brands on YouTube. How does that work? Yeah. I mean, I guess I just I just charge a flat fee that is the fee to do the video. And then the way it works for me is I, in the contract, I just say, I have full rights to do whatever I want. I give them the option personally, just out of courtesy of, of saying, I don't want what you made published. And then I'll be like, all right, cool. And, but please pay me the the final 50% of the invoice because I did the work that clause or that sort of understanding prevents most of the nonsense companies from even starting, which is what I want to happen in the first place. Any company that actually believes in their product has no problem with that. That really helps me. And then I also give them the option of if they want a straight up review, or if they want me to work their product into informational content that I think will have way better reach and way more value delivered to the the watcher, which is almost every smart brand would choose that if they were smart. I did one on like how to de-rust your garden tools. And I use something from WD-40. Actually, I like comically under... That was my first brand deal, which is actually funny because that's a huge company here. It's like really big. And I charged them like $150, which was... Good job. It was so so dumb. I just didn't... under Like I had no understanding of brand deals back then. How much do you charge now? Can you say that? Can you say... Like, can you give a range at least? It's four figures. Yeah, I charge four figures. (laughs) It was funny because I, I went to this this blogger conference and it was mostly mommy bloggers. Actually, the, it was the Ad Thrive conference. It was their first there was their yeah, first yeah. conference. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go. And I was talking to it is mostly mommy or daddy bloggers there that have like a family. It's a lot of Midwestern folks that are like good hearted people and they have these organization blogs or these cooking blogs or or whatever. And I was talking to them about what I did and they were like yeah, I'm pretty sure you could teach the SEO track here because the guy that they have teaching the SEO track is, I don't know, I'm not learning that much. They wanted me to do it, actually. I couldn't show up, but they, they wanted me to do oh, it. Oh, did they really? Like, oh, yeah, I, you should have, man. Yeah, like, yeah. you would blow, like, there's nothing personally against the guy that was doing it. It's just that... I don't know who it is. I'm not going to say, but from where I was standing, I was like, I think even the mommy bloggers know this stuff about SEO. Like, this is not, we're talking like That's title right. tags, you know? They want practical strategies, just like I would want on the brand deal side. And so I was telling them about the brand deal stuff. And they were like, oh, my God, you are so dumb. Like some of these people are making (laughs) recurring four figures a month for product mentions in a post. Like Mm -hmm. that's a next level. I'm like, okay, well, there's one person I met who's a, a food person. And they had a deal with a particular sort of ingredient, just like a really common ingredient you would use in Asian cooking. 
and they were making mm-hmm. recurring two grand a month. And the only stipulation is that they had to include it in one video per month and include it in one recipe on the blog per month. You're going to make that anyways. It's just the content you make for that business. And so it's 24K a year, not for free, but like effectively, it doesn't cost you any more time than it normally would. It's not very it's hard. Not hard. Um, and so that sort of opened my mind with the brand deal stuff. And for me, that's the way I try to make YouTube work. Because again, like if Daddy Bezos changes his commission tier again, <laughs> it's going to happen. One day, like maybe. the thing is, we know it's going to happen because their goal is to be the most customer centric company on the planet, right? Or the universe, whatever it is now. We're not their customer. The customer is their customer. They're going to use us until they don't need us, until their saturation point is like the earth itself. And then there won't be another choice. And then they won't need affiliate commissions. And so at some point... I still think it's a while away. I, I agree I with think you. at some point it will Yeah, happen. I agree. But I think it's much further away than people expect. I think it, I agree with you. Um, I just don't want to be caught off guard. And so I'm trying to diversify in ways that stabilize my business, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's, a, it's always a good idea to diversify anyway. How do you approach the brands though? Like, do you approach them? Do they approach you? What do you tell them? How do you negotiate? Um, my friend who runs a a baking blog, she gave me the link to this brand deal girl. And so the brand deal girl will take 15% in exchange for just managing all of it because I just don't want to. And so what I do is anytime I get an inbound request, I don't do outbound. So anytime I get an inbound request, I just forward it through to her. And the decision tree is like, is it a free product only? No guarantee of coverage. If so, just send it to this address. Is it a blog post, a video, if so, here are the prices. And then she'll, she'll come back to me with the details. And so I'll send her stuff. And sometimes I'll be really surprised. Like I got a, a really good deal last year from the National Association of Landscape Professionals, like I was saying, that I had forwarded to her kind of as an afterthought. I almost deleted. And then it ended up being one of the bigger deals I got that year. So that's how I do it personally. I just try to make it not take up a lot of time, but I still obviously have it as part of the business. Yeah, it's some, I want to figure out outreach for brand deals, actually. I feel like this is the next week, so, to be honest. I could say a little bit about that, and I haven't done it a lot myself, to be honest, but my cousin's mm-hmm. been doing it, and actually his his girlfriend's been doing it too because she started a site. And what he's done is he said he's ranked some pages, so he's got some good pages ranking for some gear, and he has his recommended gear, mm-hmm. and he's in the world doing this stuff, so he knows that's the stuff he uses anyways. And so he reaches out and says, I've already put this piece up. I'm a outdoorsman and I've been doing this and I I'd love to just strike up a custom deal with you. So this is sort of um this is kind of like a custom affiliate deal, but at the same time yeah. they've also paid him to do produced media, right? So like go out, shoot a video using the product and throw it up on YouTube and and Facebook and stuff. So they've paid him to do that, but they also have a custom affiliate deal. But it it was literally just him reaching out to the brand and saying, "Look, here's what I'm up to. Here's my mission and goal because he's new. So it's a little bit harder. They bought and it's been really good for him. Like he'll, he'll make maybe 50% of his Amazon commission. Let's say it's 600 bucks. Well, he'll make another 300 in the custom affiliate deal that he did with them. Yeah. Sometimes it's worth sending an email and negotiate these these things. I mean, on, on the sites we have, we've got up to like double commissions just talking to people. It's crazy. Yeah, that, that is a big uh, level of growth for us. Like it kind of demultiplies your SEO growth. Because if you're able to like grow your traffic and then also grow your commissions at the same time, then you know you forex really quickly, for example. If you 2x your traffic, you 2x your commissions, like it compounds in a crazy way. Basically. Right, because then, then you can use that money smartly and, and you can compound even quicker everywhere else. Yeah, more content, more like you can make more content on the same thing. You can actually sell them on creating more content and you can even have them sponsor it. Yeah, it's really crazy what you can do. Yeah, so I want to figure out a system for it. When I have it, I'll post on HBO. But I haven't gotten around it yet. Uh, I've just done dabbled with it and we have had some stories, but it's not structured in a very good way yet. Also, Pinterest. I went on your Pinterest profile. I saw 2.3 million monthly views. Mm. Uh, obviously, that's views of your pins. That's not clicks to your site. But I can't imagine you're getting a bunch of traffic from Pinterest, right? Yeah, Pinterest is doing well. Pinterest is my number two traffic source. So it's actually really important to me to to do it somewhat well, at least. It's, it's, a, it's the most complex social network, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like a search engine and a social media. Yeah, basically. I would call it Google number two, personally. That's kind of how I view it. So there's a level of like yeah. optimization that goes into that. That. What are your top recommendations from, oh, for, for Pinterest? Pinterest? It's like a crazy system that I have. It's really hard to explain, but 
Okay. Basically, the, the pillars of it are you have to have a website, right? You have to have some sort of pin image attached to your pieces because that's loop one. That's someone reading your content from Google and saying, I like it and I own Pinterest or I'm a pinner. Let me pin it to my board. So you have to have that, right? That's sort of step one. Step two is you have to have a, a nice Pinterest account and the pins have to look good and they have to stand out in a way that I guess could be a little atypical for your niche because what, what you have to think about is like, let's say you're, you're pinning to your group boards or your tailwind tribes, which I'll talk about in a second. Well, you're in a niche and niches tend to look the same, right? The people in a niche tend to look relatively similar. So I can't really just say like, here's what to do to make your pins stand out. Just look at the other pins in your, in your niche and just do something a little different, you know? So that helps a lot, okay. in my opinion, at least for clickability. And then everything else that really works for me on Pinterest is a level of just like crazy amounts of interconnectedness between the things. So you have Tailwind is basically the brain of it all. Nothing could happen without mm -hmm. Tailwind because without it, you're literally just manually pinning things. That's tailwindapp.com. It's a really good schedule for it's, Pinterest for people who don't yeah, know. Yeah, Tailwind it. app is is the best thing out. And and also they do Instagram now and you can actually schedule posts to Instagram on Tailwind, which is pretty crazy. Ooh. And I think they're doing support pretty soon for carousel posts and video posts on Instagram too. So it's going to get pretty interesting over there. But on the Pinterest side, this is how I think about it. You have your own boards on Pinterest, which aren't really that helpful to you, to be honest. You have group boards, which are relatively difficult to get on now. It's almost like a relic of early Pinterest. And they're also super spammy if it is. Yeah, it's know. just, it's really hard. Even a couple is good. And then there's other people's boards, right? And so what Tailwind has done is they've figured out a way to get you on other people's boards in a way that is mutually beneficial. So let's say there's like five other big people in your niche that are big on Pinterest. Well, Tailwind has this feature called tribes. And what tribes does is it basically says, hey, we're all in the same tribe together, us five big, big gardening bloggers or whatever. What we'll do is this is sort of like a little pool. We'll, we'll throw all of our pins into the pool. And if you like my pin, pin it to your boards and maybe even pin it to your group boards. So that's what's really interesting. You're not completely cut off of group boards just because you can't get on them if you're in a tribe because some of these other people might be on group boards and they may post your pin to it. And so you can get on a group board that way. You can get on their boards that way. And so your boards aren't valuable because it's only the people following you. The other people's boards are valuable because that's, let's say, 42,000 followers that the overlap might be 1%. So it's like pretty much 100% new followers that could come to you. And so the interplay of all these things. And if you like, if you sit down and draw it on a piece of paper, draw the like the little buckets, your website, your boards, group boards, tailwind tribes, and kind of like connect how all these things could compound and share with each other. That's how Pinterest works really well for me. Yeah, I mean, I can see it's definitely working. I mean, tribes, yeah, I've heard about it. We haven't talked about it yet on HPro, but it's something that has been used as well for Pinterest activities and it's worked really well for us too basically it's just it's kind of a mutual share system you get credits for sharing other people's stuff and then people share your stuff to get credit. yeah exactly and what i've done is I, I have my assistant run through and there's a certain level of criteria on what she will and will not share from other people's you know submissions but mm -hmm. my ratio is so skewed towards them that anything I put in there is likely to get shared because they can see how much you've shared of other people's stuff. So that's kind of like the social checking mechanism that Tailwind has. Let's say, you know, mm. Gail and I are in a group and I can see he's only shared like two pins and he he just submitted 25. I'm going to be like, I don't like this guy. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to share his stuff <laughs> versus me. Like when I'm in a tribe, I like to think at least that if someone sees I've shared a thousand pins of other people, they're much more likely to throw me a bone on mine, you know? Especially like Pinterest, these are like these mommy bloggers and they're very community oriented. Yeah, everyone's helping everyone. And so else. they will care a lot about that. And, and really, yeah, exactly. one of the big benefits of the tribe stuff is you can get in tangentially related tribes. So like for me, I'll be in a tribe that isn't about gardening, but it's about like sustainability, right? And so maybe not all of my pins will get picked up in there, but the ones that do are going to a completely fresh group of people, right? Because it's it's sustainability focused boards and and things. And then that'll pull audience in. So it's it really is this really intertangled web that's kind of hard to explain in audio at least. Yeah, fair enough. I mean I'm sure we'll do a video someday on H Pro or something. 
You have another thing I want to talk about. I know it's really long, this podcast, but I want to ask you, you have a daily podcast right now on your site. How's that going and what's your plan on this? Yeah, the daily podcast is funny because I started that, I would say like May 2017. And I started it because my uh-huh. cousin was like, he was wanting to do a side project. And this is before he started his his outdoor site. And he he was like, how do I do a podcast? Like, I, I got to take a, two weeks to get it set up and this and that. And I was like, dude, I'll make a po- I'll show you. I'll just make a podcast and in gardening and I'll plug it into my site and I'll just show you how it's done. And then I looked at the podcasts out there and I was like, I don't want to listen to what's a podcast I would actually listen to in the gardening world or really any world. Like, like I wouldn't listen to a podcast as long as the one we're doing right now in gardening because the information, <laughs> yeah, fair. yeah the, the information is like, if it's like how to keep backyard chickens or like how to feed your yeah. your tomato plant, it's like it doesn't need to be that long. And so I, I just decided I would make yeah. a daily podcast that just answered a, one gardening question very quickly and succinctly. And that's a contrast to everything else that was out there. So I just kind of batched that and I, I produce seven a week or I'll interview someone and chop that into seven episodes, which is kind of cool because it tells a story over a week's time. And then I, I embed... Maybe I should do that for this podcast, getting really long. Yeah, this one's getting really long. We can do part two sometime. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just did that because, again, I, I want to expand into other media formats because not everyone's a watcher, not everyone's a reader. And there's definitely a lot oh. of people are, that are listeners, like especially if you're in the garden. I get comments all the time of like, I love listening to this when I'm drinking my coffee and weeding right. or like I'm a trucker and I queue up a month's worth and I listen to them all at once, you know? So stuff like that is, awesome. is just why I do it. And that's never really made a ton of money. But at the same time, I've never directly outreached for sponsorship. I think I've made like three or four grand on it in, the, in its lifetime. Okay, cool. Do you get a lot of listeners? Yeah, I just broke a million um, downloads. So wow. it's different though for me, like a million downloads is less impressive because it's daily. So there's been like 700, 600 yeah, episodes, yeah, yeah. you know, but still it's pretty good. I mean, I'm getting like maybe three and a half to 4,000 downloads every single day of each episode. So that's a pretty good audience. Yeah, that's really good, actually. Cool. Awesome. So I'm going to like shorten it now. But like one question I wanted to ask is like we talked about all these things you're doing. How do you distribute your time? So I track a lot of things and slowly things go into the background for me. So I try to make things into processes as, that are as robust as I can. Things obviously just always keep breaking, which I'm sure you you know, because as, as AH yeah. and all your other sites oh have God. scaled, it's like you just have to keep installing things to keep making things run smoothly. Basically, what I try to do is I try to like rank what's most important for what I'm trying to do in the whole business. And then I try as best I can to not overly focus on the things that that don't move the needle as much. So I just am always auditing my time and like, where am I actually the most valuable? And where do I need to either hire out or automate out um, to keep it running? Because it's important that it runs, but it's not important that I'm doing it and making it run. So that's kind of how I do that. And like right now, for example, that means I'm refocusing on my website content for the next few months. Mm. And that's I'm really trying to scale that up and make that really robust and solid and do a full content audit and do a bunch of different things there. Good. I mean, you don't have as many updates as many of our issues, but still, it's like it, it is a bit of a pain. Oh, it's, has to run oh man, but it's, so, it's, it's so annoying to do, but it's, it's fascinating in its own way, right? Because it's like improving content and kind of going back into the bones of your site, deleting some old posts. Because you see your old posts and you're like, oh my God, people thought it was good. You will go through that. But to be honest, the uplift in traffic can be quite, quite insane, actually. Like, check the latest, some of the latest videos I put in H Pro Group. Like, some of them show some well, dude, stuff I've done. On that's why I'm doing it because I saw that one. And then I was talking to a couple of my friends in AH Pro or otherwise that own some relatively big sites. And I was like, yeah, it's time to go back and really yeah. dive deep and like 3.0 the site, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's your bread and butter. You use it to grow your YouTube channel, you use it to grow your podcast, you use it for all these things. So it's kind of the base that grows your other channels. This yeah, it, well, the thing um, about it is, it's like, it's the only thing that's free forever. People typing into Google is the only thing you don't have to yeah. pay for forever. Maybe people typing into Pinterest too, but that's about it. Yeah, the thing is like, people keep complaining because there's like more and more searches without clicks, etc. But still, like the, the amount of traffic you get from Google, like good luck finding another traffic source where you won't pay that will send you that much traffic to your own property. Like YouTube, you get a lot of traffic, but it stays on mm-hmm. YouTube, you know? Same with Instagram and so on. Like getting sites that send you traffic is very rare. Google is still going to be king for Yeah, them. it's literally just Pinterest and Google for right. me. Last question is, what are your plans for the future? Yeah, I have a lot of them. So 
the plans for the future. I have to launch the book. So that's going to be something I have to do. Yeah. I'm doing a, a crazy challenge in June where I'm going to try to live off only what I grow for a month. Nice. And so that's going to obviously be a lot of content on that. But then business-wise, I mean, this this full content audit of the site is going to be a really big priority because like you said, you know, you have to get your core, you have to get your core really solid. Mm-hmm. That's huge for this year, actually. That's huge, huge, huge. But I'm also thinking about, I'm going into a course this year. I'll be doing a course for sure. Like that's in process already. Mm-hmm. And, and then potentially going into physical product as well, because I can pull a report for the last 365 days or longer of every product I've ever sold on Amazon. So I, I know exactly how many units of every product I've ever sold. And so why would I not start to capture a little bit more of the margin, especially if I can improve the product and make it either more sustainably or more ethically or yeah. in a way that is adding value past just white labeling, then there's no reason I shouldn't be doing that too. It's just a matter of time and, and ability. The thing as well is like if you were creating products, like would you create it on like a Shopify or are you going to put them on Amazon and use your organic traffic to essentially rank high on Amazon? I'm far from like an e-com person, so I don't even know if this is a naive idea, but my plan would be to run a Shopify subdomain for shop.whatever.com. Okay. And then you can hook Shopify to Amazon FBA. And so I just run both. So you can buy Shopify, you can buy it on Shopify, and then the order gets fulfilled by FBA and shipped out anyways. And so either way, either way, you're winning. I guess that's what I would do. I don't know that maybe that seems dumb now that I'm thinking about it. I guess it's just the beginning of the adventure. You need to yeah, I'm still, I'm, I'm really um, still pretty newbie at that. So if anyone wants to help me out with that, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. I am also a newbie at e-commerce, so I can't, I can't help you on yeah, this one. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're gonna close it up here. That was a really long podcast. I want to tell uh, you are a mentor on H Pro, by the way. So if you're in the H Pro community and you want Kevin to help you out, but thank you for being super open on this interview. Like, not many people come on this kind of podcast and actually talk as openly as you did. So thanks for that. Of course. And also, can I do one little promo thing? <laughs> yeah, for here's, sure. Here's Go what for. I'm gonna say: If someone wants to buy ten copies of my book, which will be in the show notes, I will talk to you for thirty minutes about your. Well, no, I'll talk to you for an hour about your site if you buy 10 copies of my book. That's my little pitch. <laughs> That's my pitch. Is that your like gross hack thing to like uh, get high on the... That's my rankings? growth hack. No, I, I want to hit a thousand pre-orders on the book. And this is... I figured, you know, why not? It's pretty good value. I think. How much is a book? It is $27. So it's not that cheap. But also... $270. Yeah, for an hour, yeah, like fine. I would buy hour. it for myself. Obviously, I'm biased. But like I would buy... I would buy a thousand dollars for an hour for you. Uh, okay well no it's fine i'm okay we just talked for an hour you didn't pay me anything, anyways so, it's yeah. getting getting um, crazy here but anyways i thought i'd throw that out there for fun yeah, yeah for sure why not like just ping kevin and uh, and why not it's it's basically consulting yeah. so guys thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe we are now on spotify so if you use spotify it is a good place to listen to a podcast you'll need another podcasting app or something like that but if you enjoyed this don't forget to drop us a review and kevin once again thanks very much and we'll see everyone next week Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.